brief look at uh, what the Bible says about baptism and hopefully answer the question, why do it? Because that is the question that is answered in the scriptures. So what does the Bible actually say about baptism? Well, you'll see quite a lot. Baptism is mentioned over four, in over 42 different chapters in the New Testament. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, both end with the resurrected Jesus Christ giving his disciples the commission to go and preach the gospel and to baptize. In Matthew 28 and verse 19, he says, go therefore and make uh, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts records their early work and baptism is mentioned in 16 of its 28 chapters. The Apostle Paul's baptism is notable example. Paul went from being the enemy and the persecutor of Jesus's followers to being their keenest preacher. And his writings make up nearly half of the New Testament. And this conversion began with a vision of the resurrected Jesus appearing in a blinding light. And then for three days, Paul could not see. And then a believer named Ananias was sent to him and Ananias spoke to Paul using Paul's Hebrew name Saul in Acts 9 and verses 17 and 18 and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and Saul received his sight and at once and he arose and was baptized. And baptism was the first step of a new life for Paul. And so also for all of the new converts that occur in the book of Acts. And chapter two of Acts describes the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost, which was just seven weeks after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And on this occasion, he spoke publicly, arguing that Jesus was, was the promised Messiah and that his death and resurrection had been foretold by the Old Testament prophets. And to those who were convinced, Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And there can be no question that baptism was an important feature of the early Christian community. But still, the question remains, does it really matter if we are baptised? Does it matter how we are baptised? As we start to look at just some of the passages in Scripture and try to answer some of those questions, we will begin with the first references to baptism. And these references are found when they're describing the work of John the Baptist. And Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And he was, an un he was unknown beyond his hometown of Nazareth. Far better known at this time was Jesus's relative, John, who became known as John the Baptist because of his work. And in Mark 1 and verse 5, we have there, and all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John's message was simple. He taught that people needed to repent of their sins and lead a godly life, a decent life. 
It wasn't enough to be Jewish or to be a descendant of Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. It wasn't who they were descended from that mattered, but how they live their lives. And the well-off should share with the poor. The tax collectors should never cheat uh, on those who they collected from. Soldiers or the police at that time should never intimidate or falsely accuse and should be content with their wages. Repentance meant turning away from sin and living lives that showed a change of heart. And many came to John desiring to change their lives. And these John baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And the Gospels give us a few details about John's baptism. So give us few details about John's baptism, except that he chose locations where there was plenty of water and that the one baptized went down into the water with John. Later in the New Testament, baptism is referred to as washing away of sins. And an example of that is Acts 22 and verse 16. If our conscience work, works, there's something about sin that makes us feel dirty. For John's followers, the act of baptism was an act of cleansing. They went home feeling that they had made a fresh start. The simple ritual had profound meaning. And John had another message for, uh, for the people at the time. It was important that they had not too high an opinion of him. He was not the Christ. He was not the promised Messiah. He was not the great prophet. He was the, the one like Moses um, that the Jews expected God to send. Now, John's mission was only to prepare the way for the one that was coming. Jesus began his ministry by going to John the Baptist and him himself being asked to be baptized. And we might wonder why Jesus, being sinless, should desire to be baptized. And John asked this very question himself and wondered himself. At first, John adamantly refused, saying to uh, Christ, I need to be baptized by you. And you're coming to me in Matthew 3 and verse 14. Jesus said, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John agreed. And there were more baptisms than the forgiveness of sins. For some Bible teachings, there is one chapter in the Bible um, that gives complete and clear explanation. And that is part, we read part of the chapter this evening. In Romans 6, it is the, or what we would call the go-to chapter for baptism. And it clearly explains the significance of baptism. And it answers lots of questions that we might have with regards to baptism. It also helps us understand how it should be done. We can learn a lot about baptism from other scriptural passages, but Romans 6 is a good starting point. Let us take a closer look at this chapter. In his letter to the Romans, Paul carefully explains that our salvation is a gift from God. Salvation is not earned like a payment for employment. No one deserves salvation. No one is entitled to salvation. 
Paul says that salvation is entirely God's gift given by God to those who are faithful. And we will read later, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, taken from verse 23 of Romans 6. And this was a very challenging teaching for the Jews in Paul's time, who felt that their descent from Abraham gave them an advantage, gave them some kind of right. Some felt that they could earn salvation by the way that they lived, that lived their lives in following the law. Paul says they were seeking to establish their own righteousness, as Romans 10 and verse 3 tells us. But righteousness can only be obtained as God's gift to those who have faith. Nowadays, in the world around us, many Christians have other views of salvation. They reason that salvation is based on faith alone. So all that matters today is that we believe. We don't even have to say that we believe. Just that the belief in God, we only have to believe. And if you believe, then you will be saved. And this view stands in plain contradiction to the many passages, passages in Scripture. For instance, in Matthew 25 and verses 31 to 46, it tells us and it gives us all the various uh, ways that we should live our lives and how we should behave and how we should treat each other, uh, others. And it's not true that belief is all that matters. It's an important element, but it is not all that matters. And that what we do has no bearing on our salvation. Well, that's not true either. Paul anticipated this mistaken view because in Romans 6, it starts with the words, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Verse 1. Isn't that a perverse question? But he's, he's putting it to the men of his time. He's challenging them to think about the perverse way of the way that they were thinking. He was essentially saying, I'm good at sinning and God's good at forgiving. So I'll do as much sinning as I can. And that will give plenty of opportunity for God to forgive I'll continue in sin and God's grace will abound. So Paul understood how they were thinking when he poses this question, because he immediately answers the question. He strongly denounces it because in the very next verse, verse two, he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And with these words, Paul begins to explain the meaning of baptism. Baptism, Paul said, is like a burial. The old man was a slave or a servant to sin in verses 6 and 17. We'll read that. Baptism is the burial of the old man, the old way of life. And when we are baptized, we then take on a new identity. And this sense of a new identity is so strong that we might think that the former identity, the one that we buried, belongs to an entirely different person. In another letter, Paul encourages us in Ephesians 4 
to put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4 verse 22. Shall we continue in sin was the question asked at the beginning of Romans 6. The answer is that sin was part of the old identity and that the old man has died. The new life initiated at baptism is no longer a slave to sin. Paul says that baptism is like Jesus's death. He says that as many of us in Romans 6 and verses 3 and 5, as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We have been united together in the likeness of his resurrection. With full knowledge of what lay before him, he went through a terrible death on the cross. The sacrifice of Jesus shows his complete dedication and commitment to God's will. Our baptism, likewise, expresses a desire to completely follow the will of God. Baptism demonstrates commitment. And there's still more. Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 7 and 10, for he... For he that is dead from uh, is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. But what does it mean that Jesus dies no more and that he and that death no longer has dominion over him? Well, simply put, Jesus was mortal, just like you and I. Death had dominion over him, as it does with you and I. He was subject to temptation. He fought the same battles. He was tested like you and I. But he overcame. And Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says that he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The only difference was that he never gave in like we do. And so when Jesus died, so did the temptations. Raised to immortality by God, Jesus was made free from the law of sin and death that was mentioned in Romans 8 and verse 2. One of the greatest blessings in store for those who truly follow Christ is to be freed from sin. So for Jesus, death brought a great liberation. He now lives to God, no longer subject to sin. And Paul's point is that if baptism is related to the death of Christ, to the burial of the old man, we ought to also recognize that baptism also brings us into relation with Christ's resurrection. One rises from baptism out of the grave, out of the water, to a new life. And in this new life, one must consider him or herself dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Paul made the point again in another of his letters in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith from the dead. So baptism is an end and a beginning. It is the end of the old way of life where we serve sin. And this is the beginning of a new way of life where we commit to be wholly devoted to God. Paul says that one goes from being a servant of sin to a servant of righteousness in Romans 6 verses 17 and 18. And he then concludes his argument in Romans 6 with the wages of sin. Sin pays a wage. That wage is death. But God gives a gift, that being eternal life. Our baptism is a symbolic death to sin and a commitment to godliness. We must put to death and crucify the old life. So baptism is an end and a beginning. The end of a old way of life as a slave to sin, doing things that please ourselves and starting on a new life that is wholly devoted to the things of God. But how should we be baptised? And right from the outset, we posed some questions, didn't we, about baptism? Does it matter if we are baptised? When should we look to be baptised? How should we be baptised? And our consideration of Romans 6 has laid the foundations for finding the Bible answers to these questions. There can be no doubt that in the New Testament times, baptism was done by complete immersion in water. For the example that we read in John 3 and verse 23, we see John the Baptist who was baptizing. He, he was baptizing near Salem because there was much water there. Now, if a cup full of water was, would, would have done, John could have baptized anywhere. Why have, that, why have that quote there? There was much water there. After Jesus's baptism, you can see that he came up from the water in Matthew 3 and verse 16. A baptism described in Acts 8 involves two men traveling in a chariot, one teaching the other the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And the two found a place where there was much water and they went down into the water and came up out of the water, Acts 8. And we only have to look at the word. And you'll get further confirmation from the Greek word that is used for baptism. The word is baptizo from where we get our word baptism. The word is used among the Greeks to signify the dyeing of a garment. Now, you wouldn't sprinkle dye on a garment. You'd only cover part of the garment. You push, you immerse the garment into the dye if you want to dye a garment. The sense of the word is so clear that some translations even refer to John the Baptist as John the Immerser. Think again of Paul's teaching in Romans 6, where he shows the baptism is symbolic of the burial of an old way of life. 
how appropriate then is it that baptism is performed by a complete immersion of somebody? How clearly inappropriate then would it be to change the way that we've been given by the Lord Jesus, by John Baptist, by our examples in scripture of the way that baptism should be done because we might find another way that is more convenient. So we have a very powerful image of what baptism is and what baptism does. Buried in a symbolic death associated with Jesus's death and burial and then rising out of water completely to a new life. And in this moment, one is washed, cleansed and has taken the first step. It's important. That's the first step toward following after Christ and doing as God has commanded. The Apostle Peter in his first epistle, in the first epistle of uh, Peter's chapter 3 and verse 21, describes baptism as that which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 3. That doesn't mean it's a clear conscience. It's a good conscience. When a person finally realizes that they have not followed God's ways and stand in need of his forgiveness, when one wants to put away their old sinful way of life and begin a new life, patterned around Christ's life, when one understands the commitment that they're making, then they are ready to be baptized. When Jesus raised from the dead, he spent 40 days instructing his disciples in how they should preach the gospel. And we can read of that account in Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 to 8. But the gospel of Mark is a brief summary in Mark 16. It says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And we notice two things here, don't we, on first reading this. First, Jesus speaks of those who believe and are baptized and of those who do not believe. He doesn't even mention anyone who believes and is not baptized. It's as if to say that when one believes, they will be baptized. Why would anyone engage in speculation about whether baptism is necessary for salvation? Why would anyone say it is merely the outward sign of an inward change? Our second observation of that, uh, that passage is that as a reference we've seen in the first of Peter three, belief precedes baptism. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And that is the pattern throughout scripture. And we can have examples in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, where it says, repent and be baptized. And then in Acts 18 and verse 8, many of the Corinthians hearing, believed and were baptized. If belief and repentance are to precede baptism, and if baptism is a sign of personal commitment, then surely baptism can only be for those who are old enough to understand 
what is asked of them, the significance of what is being asked of them, and not before that has been achieved. In other words, it can't be with infants. It has to be with individuals who understand their scriptures, understand what's being asked of them, and they respond to that and respond to the message. And so we've seen that baptism means immersion and that immersion is a symbolic burial of the old way of life. We have seen that belief precedes baptism and that baptism is the beginning of a new life of faith and of commitment to doing the things of God. Through baptism, sins are washed away. We start our new life. Baptism associates us with Jesus, making us part of the body of Christ. And it makes us heirs of the great promises that God made to Abraham that we've talked about in other lectures. Promises that leads us to the hope and the resurrection and eternal life. Perhaps the question of the Ethiopian eunuch comes to our mind. What keeps me from being baptised? Well, for some, it's self-doubts. Baptism may be too large a commitment. Some might, might feel that I'm not good enough, or um, what if I sin after I've been baptised? Well, if those are our feelings, be reassured. Because one is not baptised because he or she is perfect. Baptism is for those who want to strive to be perfect. God fully understands our weaknesses and we can depend upon the fact that he will forgive us if we repent. Remember what it says. Jesus gave us these words. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke 12. If it is the father's pleasure to give the kingdom to Jesus's followers, Will he not help us to overcome those things that would hinder us, would get in our way, cause us to sin and disobey Christ and the commands? Baptism is the first step on the road to eternal life. And we have the words recorded again of Jesus from Mark chapter 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. A voice that is surely worth listening for your life and my life depends upon it. Thank you for listening.